How would you like it if someone did that to you? That's a, a line I heard a few times as a wee boy growing up. Maybe I'd uh, reached over to the person sitting beside me and scribbled on their page, or I'd gone into the playground and stolen a ball from some kids uh, playing over there somewhere. It's the kind of thing you hear uh, as a wee fellow when you've pulled your sister's hair. Um, obviously, God uh, brought his own form of retribution to me for that. It's one of the first lessons that we teach kids about how to deal with other people. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated yourself. Jesus must have thought it a worthwhile lesson because he shared it with his disciples here in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In the message translation, it reads like this. Ask yourself what you want other people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. A lot of playground battles and a lot of the conflict that we experience in adult life would be avoided if we took this teaching to heart. Folks, remember what we've said throughout this series. What Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount isn't new. He's simply taking God's law and he's, he's dusting it down from centuries of misunderstanding and he's showing it in all its glory. So what Jesus probably has in mind here is Leviticus 18 verse 19 where the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 12. In everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. When Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, that's shorthand for the whole of God's word. He's saying, this stuff that I'm teaching you here, this goes right to the heart of what God's word's about. This is important. One last thing about verse 12 as we begin. Did you notice that it begins with a so? Verse 12 is the logical conclusion of what's gone before in verses 1 to 11 and probably further back into the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's turn to those verses now, verses 1 to 11 of chapter 7. Uh, by the way, chapter 6 had a lot to teach us about how we relate to God. Don't worry about impressing other people. Live before your Father. Live before an audience of one. Don't worry about wealth or financial security. Learn to trust your Father just like the birds of the air. As I say, once we move into chapter 7, the focus falls on how we would treat one another. If we're really going to treat one another the way we'd like to be treated ourselves, we won't judge people. Look at verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. L let's be honest about this for a second. There's something very attractive about judging other people. There's something delicious about passing judgment, even if we just do it in our hearts, about other people. How do I know that? Well, because of the amount of time we all spend doing it. We must love it, judging other people. 
passing judgment seems to be very much a part of our fallen human nature. And maybe it's because of this widespread propensity to judge and because of the, the damage that our judgment does that Jesus puts it right in here in his foundational sermon as he teaches us how to live in the kingdom of God. It's interesting the reason Jesus gives us not to judge in verse 1. He doesn't say because it's a nasty thing to do. He, he tells us not to judge because if we do, we're going to be judged. Again, Jesus' wisdom is undeniable. If, if I said this at the, the start of this sermon series, who's your teacher? Do you know that Jesus is the smartest teacher who ever lived? Here he's just dropping wisdom. If you're a judgmental person, you will live under the judgment of other people. That's his simple teaching there. The message again puts it very well. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless of course you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Before we go any further, we need to think for a second about what Jesus is really forbidding here. When he says that we shouldn't judge, is Jesus suggesting that we give up any sort of a discerning uh, spirit, any, any way of distinguishing between different types of behavior? Does he want us to give up, for example, caring about what's right and wrong? If that were the case, then, then we'd never uh, say that anyone's done right or anyone's done wrong because we wouldn't want to judge. That's a common enough view in our world today, but it's not, it's not what Jesus is talking about. We only need to look at Jesus' own life and his teachings, even later in this very chapter, to know that he's not forbidding that kind of a judgment. Disciples of Jesus, they're, they're always going to be discerning people. They're always going to be learning to make wise judgments about what's right and wrong. The type of judgment that Jesus is forbidding here is the one that wants to condemn. When we condemn a person, we really want them to know that they're deeply bad. We want to, to put something on them. We want them to feel our rejection. When we condemn them, we're usually wanting to exclude them we tend actually to use condemnation as a way to control them. If I demonstrate my displeasure to you because of what you're doing, maybe I can, I can turn you. I can get you to do what I want you to do. That's why we use judgment and condemnation to control people, to get them to do what we want to do. This kind of judgment's really common and it's really destructive, and Jesus forbids it. Jesus keeps going. Uh, he shows us what it's like to be a judgmental person using a, a pretty ridiculous word picture, that of a, a person trying to get a little speck out of their eye. Along comes a friend to to help them, but this friend has a log in their eye. It's a bit like you're having trouble with your... Uh, your contact lens and your blind friend comes along and says, I'll help you. It's pretty obvious, I think, what Jesus is getting at here. We need to be careful running around 
trying to sort other people out, trying to put them right, when all the while we have huge faults of our own. If you're so keen on judgment, Jesus says, begin with yourself. Get the log out of your own eye, and then you, you might be able to help that person who has a speck in their own eye. The, folks, there's a logic here. The more, the more we're aware of our own faults, the safer we are and the less likely we are to condemn other people with theirs. As I was preparing, I was reminded this week, one commentator reckons that the log in this illustration, there's definitely a log in this illustration. The, the, what Jesus is talking about here is not just a general way in, in which we might all have sin in our lives. Of course, we all have sin in our lives and we should be careful of judging others. But, but one commentator showed me that, that the log here is probably the spirit of condemnation itself. I think he has a point. Okay, so there may be a very real problem in, in our neighbor's life. There is a speck in their eye. There, there's something there that if it wasn't in their life, they'd be better off without it. But my desire to condemn them and to judge them and to bring them down, that's far more serious than, than whatever the small flaw is in their own life. Their failing is a speck. Mine's a huge log by comparison. Folks, the truth is that so long as we're out to condemn, we'll never be able to help anybody. Our criticisms and our judgments will ensure that they clam up. You know what it's like when a person comes to you in a spirit of condemnation. They can't even get near you because you'll brace yourself against them. We need to start by hauling the log out of our own eye. And then maybe, by the grace of God, he'll use us in the lives of others. Folks, Jesus' main point in this passage is that we shouldn't condemn. But before we move on, I want to take a moment to speak to those who feel condemned today. Maybe you're being blamed at this moment in your life for something that you haven't done or something that you did by accident. Maybe you're being punished extremely harshly for something that you did do. You're, you're being kept under that endlessly. People are condemning you in your life. They're writing you off. If you're a child of God here this morning, I, I want to tell you, I need to tell you that you don't need to listen to any of that condemnation. Just set it aside. Don't carry it. Listen instead. Rather than listening to the condemnation, listen to the word of God. You see, followers of Jesus Christ have entered an entirely new reality. It's a place where condemnation has no hold over us. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Romans. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whenever people condemn us, whenever they judge our character, we can choose just to ignore it. 
and to drop it. We ask ourselves, who is this who's condemning me? How do they stack up beside the loving God of the universe who says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Instead of standing under this feeble condemnation, we stand under this monumental grace and we say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, this is no small thing we're talking about here this morning. The decision to step aside from judgment, to step aside from giving it or from living under it. This is simply just one more beautiful aspect of life in the kingdom of God. This is the invitation. This is what Jesus invites you to. Life without judgment. Verse 6. When we read through a passage like this, it can seem pretty confusing at first, doesn't it? Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I grew up with a rock-solid idea of what this verse meant. It meant... If you go and tell people about Jesus and they don't respond, that shows that they're unworthy. Let, leave them behind and go and tell other people instead. It seemed to fit what Jesus taught elsewhere where he said, if anyone won't welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet and leave that home or town. The context here makes me wonder, though, if that was a good interpretation. I wonder if Jesus might have something else in mind. Remember what he's teaching us to do, verse 12. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Let's, let's stick with what he's actually saying. If you offer holy things to a dog or pearls to a pig, you're giving the dogs and the pigs something that they have no interest in, and no use for. They don't even know the value of those things that you're offering to them. No wonder they turn and attack you. They won't allow you to force on them things that they don't want. Folks, I think that is a pretty good image of much of our evangelism. Sometimes we take the gospel to people in such a way that they could never possibly make sense of it, see its relevance, or receive it. We don't take time to engage them. We don't take time to listen to them and to get to know them. We already know all about them, and we know what they need, and we force ourselves on them. It's like with our judgment and our manipulation, where our, our our judgment and their condemnation. We're trying to control them. We're trying to assume responsibility for them in how they, they will respond to the gospel. We can't do that. We need to leave the responsibility with them. Jesus is warning us against that kind of behavior that forces itself, coercion, 
and manipulation. They have no place in the kingdom of God. When we first read this passage, maybe it seemed to you like it was disjointed, but I hope that as we move through it, you'll see a, a thread, you'll see how it comes together as one beautiful, cohesive whole. Remember repeatedly what we're talking about in this passage. We're learning to treat other people as we'd like to be treated ourselves, verse 12. Verses 1 to 5, Jesus tells us that we aren't to condemn other people and write them off. Verse 6, he warns us against forcing things on people that they're not yet ready to receive. Don't be, don't be clumsy and interfere. Verses 7 to 11, Jesus gives us a third piece of teaching about the, the life that we would live with other people. He teaches us how to become a non-manipulative presence in the lives of other people. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. In this context, they all mean basically the same thing. It's, it's ask or request. I've got to slow down here for a second. Why on earth would something as everyday and as simple as asking be important? It's because there's so much power in a request. Whenever we ask something of someone, it brings us closer to them. Instead of trying to control them or manipulate them, we're admitting our vulnerability. We're saying, I need your help. The wonderful thing about asking is that people usually do what they can to grant a request. That's what Jesus says, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Unless there's a particular problem, we discover that when we ask, we get. Whenever we go looking, we find. And when, that people generally do open the door when we knock. Verse 9, Jesus gives us an illustration from everyday family life. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Whenever our kids ask us for a goldfish, we, we don't give them a poisonous snake. That's Jesus' point. We don't, we don't give our kids when they ask us things for things. We don't give them worse than they ask for. That's ridiculous. Normally, we give our kids things that are good for them. Jesus says, well, if a flawed father can do that for his kid, how much more is our perfect, loving father going to give us things that are good for us? Folks, I've been learning a lot this last weeks and months teaching the Sermon on the Mount. I think Jesus has been bringing me into a deeper understanding of this invitation that he offers us, an invitation to life in the kingdom of God. And this is certainly one place where I'm seeing it more than before. I'd always imagined, and maybe you had too, that the ask, seek, knock verbs had to do with God 
how we approach God in prayer. But this time, reading the text more closely, I see that that's not the case. Jesus' ask, seek, knock teaching applies, first of all, to our relationship with other people before it applies to prayer. The whole passage, after all, is about doing to others what we would have done to us. I say that it's first of all about our relationship with other people and then about prayer to make the point that it's finally about both because, you see, they're inextricably linked. We are whole human beings. The way I relate to you and the way I relate to God are not, not two different things. We can't have one posture toward God and another posture toward human beings. And that, I think, is why Jesus flows very naturally from one to the other. In a passage where he's asking people to ask for what they need from other people, he points them to ask for God for what they need from him. Folks, I've been grappling with these ideas for about a quarter of a century now since I started to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. I've been learning the art of leadership all these years when I've been working in my role as an ordained minister. And I've tried to put into practice what Jesus preaches here. Perhaps I might take a moment to help you understand what I aspire to as a leader. It seems to me that leaders in the kingdom of God don't force people to do things that they're not ready to do. They don't manipulate people to get them to do what they want. They simply pray. And they ask God for what they need. And they ask God's people for what they need. And they trust God with the outcomes. There are some very simple but profound outworkings of this kind of thinking in the life of a leader. It means, for example, if I can't be open about what I want from the people, I shouldn't be doing it. I'm engaging in manipulation. I need to stop right there. If people aren't ready for the step that I'm suggesting, then I need to wait and pray and grow that fruit of the Spirit that is patience. If I can't operate in a, what I can't do is operate in a regime of judgment and condemnation, of coercion and manipulation. What I certainly can't do is operate like that and at the same time call myself a person of prayer. Praying to God on the one hand while I manipulate God's people on the other hand simply can't stand. It makes a mockery of my claim to pray. If I'm trying to control the world, even if I imagine that I'm trying to control it for God's benefit somehow, why pray? Why not just be honest about it, crack on and do it in my own strength? The truth is I pray or I manipulate. I don't do both. 
I can't do both. I either trust God or I don't. Folks, we said at the outset that verse 12 summarizes everything we've been thinking about today. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. It's, it's a wonderful aspiration, isn't it? It sounds impossible. It is possible. It's possible for those who have come to understand themselves as citizens of the kingdom of God. Once we know, truly know, that God is our heavenly Father and that he's looking after our interests, we are freed up to start looking after the interests of other people. We know that the Lord of the universe is looking after ours. I, I said a moment ago, God's been really challenging me this time as I've been teaching the Sermon on the Mount. More than ever in my life, I've felt an invitation. Christoph, will you come now? Will you come and start to live life in the kingdom? Get out of that other kingdom you're living in that kingdom of this world, that kingdom of yours. Come and live in my kingdom. Live by the values of my kingdom. I hope that you're starting to hear the invitation. That invitation Jesus offered his first disciples and he offers to us just now, come and live a totally new way of life. Folks, I find myself the last few weeks sometimes waking up in the morning saying, this is my Father's world. Lord, today I'm going to live with you in the kingdom. Imagine what this place would be like if more and more of us found ourselves living that way. We'd be free from hypocrisy because we'd given up living finally for the approval of other people because we are happy with the approval of our Father in heaven. We'd quit worrying about our financial security because we've finally accepted that we have a father who's going to provide for us. It's all going to be okay. We'd be a community where we no longer condemn and judge one another and force our ways on each other. Instead, we'd simply ask God and ask our brother and sister for the things that we need, trusting that we'll receive what's best. This is the life that Jesus invites us to. It's such a wonderful, wonderful way to live. Sometimes I catch glimpses of it in the lives of people around me. Occasionally, very occasionally, I see a little of it in myself. God's kingdom here among us. That's what Jesus invites us to. Are you ready to come in? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your words, and today we thank you particularly for the words of Jesus himself recorded for us. 
Lord, we're beginning to get a picture of what you're talking about here now. There really are two ways to live this life. There's the, the, the kingdom of, of this world. There's the kingdom we create for ourselves. That's, that's one way to live. And many of us have given much of our lives to living in that kingdom in that way. But Father, you've been showing us the beauty of life in the kingdom. A life beyond hypocrisy, a life beyond worry, a life beyond judgmentalism and manipulation. This is the life you made us for. This is the life you call us to. This is the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to do what Jesus told us to do. To repent. To believe in him. And to enter and live in that kingdom of his. Help us to do that, each one. Amen.